0: Today, more than ever, organizations are dependent on a solid technical foundation. So, what does it take to lead an IT organization through crisis and toward the future? In this episode of Humans Now and Then, I speak to Jeff Tunn, information technology leader, speaker, and the author of the book Amplify Your Value about how we can learn from our experience today in order to shape a better future.
1: Once you have this idea in your mind of what the future is going to look like, and you know where you are, you can develop a plan to get there. And I think that's the key piece of what we do in strategic planning or strategic foresight is painting those pictures of the future.
0: So what does it take to lead a technology organization into the future? And what is the value of journaling and applying lessons from history as we navigate a new world? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, it's great to be here, Becky. Really going to enjoy this conversation.
0: Fantastic. So a lot of things for us to talk about, one being because of the current circumstance, which is a super hot topic. Yes. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about a couple things from your book. Okay. Amplifier Value, which is a book for IT leadership. Right. And one of the things that I think is really interesting in that book, and it's a theme that I've heard in companies far and wide, the great divide between IT and the business. Yeah. You know, obviously with technology becoming integral to everything we do, and even today, like in today's situation with the pandemic, the fact that so many people are working remotely, technology is even more important to the continuity of business. How long can we maintain a divide between IT departments and business?
1: Wow, that is a great question. I think we're past time. I think we have been trying to break down that wall, those silos for, gosh, 10 years or more and i think prior to this outbreak what we were seeing is this realization from businesses everywhere that they are really digital businesses it doesn't matter if you're an online e-commerce retailer or you're an agricultural company you are digital And I think the IT leaders, many of them have been slow to realize this, that their job is far beyond the bits and bytes. It's far beyond the servers. It's uh, understanding how the business makes money. Seems obvious to say, but you have to know how your business makes money. You have to know your customers. And too often when you talk to IT professionals, especially IT professionals of the past, you ask them who their customer is and they will say, well, it's Joe in accounting or it's Sally in finance. You know, it's always internal business users, not the customer. So IT professionals need to understand the customer of the business. And in some cases, if it's a business to business type organization, they need to understand the customer's customers to really effectively deliver technology and solve problems. So I think this divide has been, like I said, it's been something we've been talking about for years. And I always had a kind of a trite comment that I'd say that if we're talking about business and IT alignment, we're not aligned. Because if it's a problem, if it's an issue that you have to point out and solve, then you're really not aligned. And what it takes is IT leader to be a part of the business, to walk alongside the people in the business and walk in their shoes to see what they see, understand those aspects of the business so that they can bring technology solutions to help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really interesting is in organizations... One of the things that we know about employee engagement and employee motivation is the importance for every employee to understand how their work ties to the company's mission and the company's goals. And I wonder, hearing what you're talking about, when we have that divide between IT and business, if some folks who fall in the IT camp end up starting to feel that disconnect between the work that they're doing and a company's overall goals and mission.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right, because I think too often, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, one of the things that has happened over the decades with IT work is we spend 80% of our time babysitting the systems that we already have in place that doesn't leave a lot of time for new innovation. And so one of the things that we were able to do in the organization I write about in the book is to kind of swing that pendulum to free up time. And we used a variety of different techniques, but one great example is as we were freeing up time, I was able to take my senior architect and send him out to our retail stores, just to observe, just to watch walk around with the VP of retail and observe the store. Through that experience, he was able to then come back and recommend a way to change the checkout lines, a way to reconfigure them and speed the checkout, reduce the lines, and have a much better customer experience. He never would have been able to do that sitting back in the data center, worrying about the exchange server, for example. And so that's what I mean about you have to get out and see it. The company that I talk about in the book is Goodwill of Central Indiana, where I was CIO for a number of years. And we designed a loyalty card program, very successful loyalty card program. But one of the things we wanted to be able to do was track donations. And so we thought we had this great design where we would put basically a dumb terminal in the donation vestibule at every retail store. And then when the donor drops off their stuff, they can scan their card or the donation clerk will scan the card and we'll track it. Fantastic idea. Except on a Saturday in June, when you're having all the garage sales and people are bringing all the stuff that didn't sell and the line is 40 cars long, it doesn't work. And unless you're out there seeing that, you're just not going to understand it and be able to design systems that solve the real problem.
0: Yeah. And that kind of leads to um, being able to develop empathy. So you're talking about like the end customer, seeing their experience, feeling that experience and understanding the pain associated with it or the discomfort or the inconvenience or whatever it might be is an important aspect to let's call it innovation.
1: I think you mentioned what traditionally has been called a soft skill, which I think today is an essential skill, which is empathy. Right. Whether you're interacting with a peer employee or whether you're interacting as a manager employee or employee to manager, or you're looking at your customers and how they interact with your business, you have to have empathy for what they're going through and what they are experiencing. Regardless of the interaction, right,
0: absolutely, and I think what's really interesting, and and one of the things that kind of just popped in my head as we talked through this, some organizations, especially IT organizations, end up having an enhanced focus on delivery, mm-hmm. you know, or service, depending on the organization, and focus on the ability to deliver quickly. Does that hinder? That ability for organizations or for people within those IT organizations to think beyond that delivery, beyond that initial solution that's needed today or maybe yesterday, depending on what the demand is. But how do you get beyond that constant delivery mindset to think about things like empathy, purpose, meaning, or developing needs that would accommodate the
1: future? That's a real challenge because you're right. And I'm sure other people that are listening to your program who aren't in IT also feel this same way. Yes. We're all overworked. We all are incredibly busy. IT specifically is focused on that next delivery, either resolving a ticket with an issue or delivering a project. And that is the mindset day after day after day. I think it requires a discipline. I always like to tell my teams, we have to slow down to do more. And it's kind of a paradox because we're so used to hard charging and going through the day-to-day that we forget to take time to take a pause and reflect on what's going on around us, what's happening within our organization, what's happening with our customers, and develop that. This current environment we're in with COVID-19 is a great example of that. It's given us, in a lot of ways, that opportunity to pause for some, they've experienced more time in the day. They don't have to commute to work anymore. Business has slowed down, unfortunately. But on the upside to that, that gives you time to reflect and think. Right, And we have to be better at building those opportunities into our days, not only for us as leaders, but for our teams. They need time to pause and think and reflect and build that empathy for their coworker or their customer.
0: Definitely. And you had brought up kind of earlier in the conversation and also in your book, the importance of thinking about your people, your teams, when considering strategy, when considering your day-to-day work. And I think one of the interesting things to think about when you're talking about constant focus on delivery, people working a lot of hours, which is really common in IT, the importance of team members maintaining well-being is critical for the success of organizations.
1: It is, and I think that's part of our job as leader is to also be caretaker, and I think that that's being tuned into. When people are feeling stress and are reaching their breaking point, hopefully you never get there, but we all know there are projects that demand extra work, and so you get to that, but you have to be tuned into it, and you're not going to see that sitting in your office. You're going to see that and understand that by going out and talking with the people on your team, interacting with them, being in there with them day to day, and you'll start to see signs of that. And I think we have to give them that time. And I always like to do surprises. Can't see on the audience, but I'm doing air quotes because normally surprises are planned. But you walk into the office at noon on Friday and you say, okay, everybody go home. Just go home. We know we've got a few things left to do for this for Friday afternoon, but don't care. Just go home. Spend an extra four hours with your family. Spend an extra four hours with a hobby. Just get out of the office. And you do that randomly, again, randomly in air quotes. And, you know, people appreciate that. People appreciate the time because especially in IT, we're not an eight to five organization. IT is a 24 by seven. The phone's going to ring and there's going to be an issue or you've got a project launch or whatever it is. You're going to be working the hours. I always felt like with my teams I was not going to be a clock watcher because I knew I was going to get the hours I needed out of them one way or another whether it was scheduled or unscheduled people were putting in their their hours and putting in their effort but it's all about taking care of the people that are in your charge
0: super important and I think not even just from an engagement perspective but also just demonstrating good leadership letting people know that they're seen and understood And I I wonder how much more important that is in the current circumstance, where you have large amounts of people working remotely. How do you translate that importance of understanding those individual needs, seeing people and understanding their lives and what they need when you're leading a remote team?
1: I think that brings up a couple of great points. First of all, I've been seeing a lot and talking a lot about grace And I think you have to, in this time, because we all are under an unbelievable amount of stress, whether we choose to admit it or not, the world is different right now, maybe different forever, and we're all trying to navigate this new world. And so giving people the benefit of the doubt, if they're struggling with the technology, if they're late to a Zoom or a WebEx meeting, if they're on the call and their kid starts crying in the background or their dog jumps up and starts barking, it was absolutely hysterical. I was watching Willie Geist's Sunday Today show yesterday, and he was interviewing Chuck Todd And Chuck Todd was working from home and his dog started barking on the news and they didn't even skip a beat. They just went on and then Willie made some joke at the end of the interview. But I think that's a great example of we have to understand that it's going to be different. And the other part of this that I think is really fascinating, and we were talking about it earlier, is it's taken this requirement to work from home to enable us to engage with our coworkers as people. All of a sudden, we're getting a glimpse into their personal lives. When you're on a video call and you're seeing what books are on their bookshelf behind them, or I saw something on LinkedIn this morning that The only room in the house that this guy could do his work from was the second bathroom. (laughs) And so he had set up a desk in the bathroom and someone busted him saying, hey, that's a shower curtain behind you. And he said, yeah, you're right. (laughs) But the other thing is kids that are interrupting video conferences. Great. Let's talk to the kids, dogs, cats, spouses that walk by in view of the camera, just all these kinds of things. It's a different view than we're used to seeing someone at the office. It's almost like we become Facebook friends, so to speak, with everybody that we work with because we're getting these views into the rest of their world. And I think that's going to be one of the benefits, if you will, that has come out of this is this whole new personal relationship that we have with people because we've seen what's going on in their world.
0: Yeah, and I think we accept it now, where I feel like these things happened in the past. They've certainly happened to me as a parent. I've had those moments, oops, I forgot to click mute before I talk to my kids and people kind of chuckle in the background. Yeah, Uh, You know, those things happen prior to our current situation, but I think now people accept it more than they had simply because it's a part of doing work in this point in time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do too.
0: And I think that's probably a good thing. I do too. Yeah. Accepting each other as people, as human beings living our lives. And work is just one aspect of that.
1: Exactly. Well, and that gets back to what we were talking about earlier, whether you're in the office or whether you're on these video calls, the people that work for you are just that. They're people. Yeah. They're your coworkers. They have lives. They have things that are going on in their world. And you have to meet them sometimes where they are. And that's empathy. That's compassion. That's being vulnerable yourself as a leader to let them in when you're struggling and let them see your struggles. I think that's all important builds that relationship because we love relationships. That's what it's about. And I think it leads to more engagement when people are sharing their real selves.
0: Absolutely. And I hope that this experience Provides leaders more of an insight of things they need to consider when they're thinking about strategy, when they're thinking about staffing, when they're thinking about their goals in the future and understanding that things like this can happen and create new circumstances that you need to react to, just simply sometimes to stay in business, but also just to remember the importance of our humanity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as you're thinking about your strategy and your staffing, I was talking earlier this morning to a friend of mine, Isaac Sekolik. He's an author out of New York, and he's also in uh, technology. And his comment was no one had planned for this type of disruption. Right. You might have been able in your plan, so to speak, to have remote work for two or three days. No one planned on remote work two months three months, whatever it's going to be. And so your plan may have worked for the initial part, but you have to look at it and adjust it now based on what you've now learned over the last month for the month going ahead. And don't forget that when things come back to the office in whatever new normal we have to update your plans based on what you've learned yeah, and update your strategies. And this goes everything from your system strategies to your staffing strategies. The companies that had embraced any device, any time, any place as a strategy were far more adept at getting their workforce remote than those who were still tied to a desktop computer with a thick client application in an office. Right.
0: Goodness. Thinking again about the strategy portion of this, getting beyond this moment in time, And updating your strategy, updating your plans, like you mentioned, how can leaders ensure to take the time to do that and not fall into the trap of falling back into
1: business as usual? We're we're human. We like that business as usual, don't we? (laughs) We do. We like that status quo. That's a challenge that leaders have all the time is how do you carve out time to think for the future, think about what's going on, reflect on lessons learned. I'm a big one for journaling. I think that's a key aspect of leadership. It's almost a lost art. When you look back on the leaders of the past, many of them wrote journals. And then you would reflect on those journals. You would carve out time in your day to do that. And in this 21st century world, we've lost some of that because everything is always on the go, always moving. And I think that's going to be something that we take from this is the discipline to carve out time to think. Yes. We get that a little bit today because as I mentioned earlier, we don't have the commute. For a lot of us, we're not commuting to the office anymore. Take that time to think. Just Think. Write. If you like to journal, write in a journal. If you like to blog online, blog online. If you just like to think about your strategy, spend time in quiet thinking about it. I think that's what we're going to have to carve out going forward.
0: Absolutely. And I'm thinking of a parallel from your book. In one of your chapters titled "A Tale of Two Recoveries," you talk about that journey of you know systems going down unexpectedly and having to go through the process of recovering information or recovering your systems in order to maintain business. I wonder if this type of learning we're having today has a similar parallel to that circumstance, where the next time, whatever it might be, who knows if we'll have another global pandemic. We never saw it coming. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies that you mentioned were more prepared than they realized for remote work. Some were not and are really feeling a lot of pain right now. But I think that really amplifies the importance of us coming out of this and readjusting our approach or readjusting how we think about the future and prepare for the unexpected.
1: Absolutely. I think preparing for the unexpected is probably the second most important thing that a leader can do. The first one we already touched on, and that is working with and developing their people. The second one is looking to the future but to look to the future you also have to understand the past mm. and that's a the chapter from the book that you talk about is exactly that it's we had this experience where we had to recover our systems and we weren't successful because we weren't set up for success we thought we had done a great job preparing it didn't work the way we thought it was going to work and so you learn from that you take the lessons from it and Apply that to what your view of the future is going to be, and you adjust. It's never going to be perfect. The big secret is no one can predict the future. You do the best that you can to understand the future and understand the context, and then you plan different scenarios for the future. Right the likely scenarios are the ones that you want to focus on and you focus on those. So for us at that time, it was all about recovering our systems and the fact that there had to be a better way. I think businesses of all industries are going to learn from the experience for a few more weeks or months going forward. What worked, what didn't, what would they do differently the next time? Because there will be a next time It may not be a global pandemic. It may be something else. It may be another global pandemic. And so you have to look at it very critically. What worked? What didn't? And what can you change going forward with your view of what the future is going to look like? Definitely.
0: And I'm going to bring up something that was actually kind of fun from your book, which was the New Year's party that you threw back in 2010. And confuse a lot of people initially by saying the new year's party was for 2016. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. And this is pretty early in your career at Goodwill. I understand. Yes. So probably a lot of people thinking, who is this guy coming in here and thinking it's new year's a few years from now.
1: <laughs> and, it, and it was July or June. But yeah. Yeah.
0: But it was an interesting way to get people to think and project forward into the future and what that future might look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big one for painting a picture right? And so as an author, you paint picture with words. As a leader in business, sometimes you paint pictures by putting people in those situations. And so the idea was that here we were in 2010, we were getting ready to develop a five-year strategic plan for technology. What does it look like on New Year's Eve 2015 with the dawn of 2016? What does technology look like? What does business look like? What does our world look like? It's a similar concept to the scenario planning that I was talking about before. It's looking at the world, looking at the business, looking at the industry you're in, looking at technology, and just creating what you think the future is going to look like. It stimulates thinking. And so once you have this idea in your mind of what the future is going to look like, and you know where you are, you can develop a plan to get there. And I think that's the key piece of what we do in strategic planning or strategic foresight is painting those pictures of the future. And if you've got a good vision and you can share that with your team, get your team to play a game like a New Year's Eve party in July, it makes that brainstorming so much better. And it's a great exercise. I would encourage everybody to throw a New Year's Eve party in July and look to the future. And What does it look like? What do you want it to look like? And then start building it.
0: Absolutely. And I love the aspect of putting people in that point in time and getting them to kind of think about what that experience might feel like or might involve. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things that I I have to talk to you about, Jeff, is an area of expertise that you have that falls outside of IT. (laughs) which would probably surprise a lot of people who don't know you, will be no surprise to everyone who does
1: know you. Right.
0: Which is your expertise around Lewis and Clark.
1: My heroes.
0: Your heroes. (laughs) So tell us why. Tell us what's compelling about the story of Lewis and Clark that compelled you to learn so much about them, and how do you apply that to your work and in your life?
1: Gosh, to me... There's several different aspects of it. You know, it's the romance and adventure, these two men leading a group of individuals across our continent and back. It's just a very gripping tale at a story level. But when you start digging into it, it's about leadership. The whole thing is about leadership. And the beauty of it is we have their journals, Those two guys wrote over a million words in the three, three and a half years that they were on this expedition. We know what decisions they made and when. Sometimes we know why they made the decisions. Other times they're not quite as clear, but think about this. It's the turn of the century, basically 1800. It was 1803, 1804 when they were first setting out. The United States basically ended at the Mississippi River and even a lot of what was east of there was still territories. There was only 15 states. And these two men, I'll back up one step, Thomas Jefferson was president, and he had the vision of the United States stretching from coast to coast. A nation that covers a continent was unheard of in the 1800s. So, this amazing vision. And yes, it was about finding the Northwest passage for trade, uh, but it was also discovery of what was out there. And Jefferson was fascinated with the West. He was able to describe that vision and paint a picture. So compelling Meriwether Lewis bought into that vision. Lewis was able to communicate that to Clark and together they would communicate this vision to 30 men, a woman, and a baby that they would go 4000 miles across the country and back for them because they all shared in this vision. It's an amazing story of leadership when you break it down and I think that's what got me fascinated with the story. I hated history as a kid. All they do is make you memorize dates and times and names and all that stuff. But it was really the story that really captured my attention. And the more I learn about it, the more amazing feat that it was comes to light. I mean, they face danger every day. The Spanish tried to intercept them and turn them back. They were going to arrest them and throw them in prison and they didn't find them. One or two or three tribes of Native Americans contemplated wiping them out and made the decision not to. So they faced this time and time again throughout this adventure. And just like today, I'm going to tie it back to today, finally, because you got me started. You made the mistake of asking. (laughs) Uh, But just like today, we are venturing into the unknown. We are stepping off the map, just like Lewis and Clark did. They didn't know what they were going to find. They didn't know what work was going to be like when they returned to the office after two months of working from home. They didn't know all the different things that they were going to encounter, but they were ready. They were ready to follow their vision. They were ready to follow their strategies. They were ready to adjust their strategies when they weren't working, and they were prepared to overcome obstacles in front of them, no matter what those obstacles were. That's the lesson that you can draw from that example in history forward to today in this new uncharted territory that we're exploring today is those lessons from the past can help us in the future.
0: I love how you tied that to this place we're in today, because I think there's also an interesting aspect of venturing out into the unknown, And as you mentioned, the potential for us to actually journal or take a record of the experience we're going through today. And Lewis and Clark, of course, did the same thing. They journaled their experiences, as you mentioned. They created a lot of maps of the landscape that they explored, which was new territory that was very important to understanding the landscape of the United States at that point in time, or what was going to be the United States. Yes. Yes. Now, we have this opportunity today to take a journal of this journey that we're on, Yes. create our own maps and how we got through that, and potentially leverage that in the future to understand how to prepare ourselves for unexpected circumstances that could completely change the business landscape and even society and a lot of our cultural norms that have been completely disrupted by uh, the circumstance we're in today.
1: Absolutely. In fact, I'll put in a shameless plug. (laughs) I have issued a challenge through social media. It's the COVID-19 Journal Challenge. And whether or not you write a journal, write a diary, or you're interested in starting one, I am challenging everyone to write a journal of their thoughts each day throughout this, however long it is. So if someone is interested in doing that, there's a blog post on my blog, riversofthought.net, that not only tells you why and what types of things to think about, but if you're new to journaling, it tells you a little bit about how to do it, when to do it, what kind of uh, things do you need to consider. And then it also gives you a timeline going back to the discovery, if you will, of coronavirus back in December of 2019 uh, and a timeline of the first three months of 2020 to jog your memory of what you were thinking, what you were feeling, and how you were observing that. And then the idea is if you're interested, can sign up and I will send you a daily reminder to journal with a brief recap of the news of the day and some questions to consider as you're writing in your journal. You can use those questions or use your own. You don't have to. And then I'm also sharing my journal entry for that day related to the COVID-19 pandemic. So for your listeners, if you're interested in doing that, would love to have you join. Again, if you go to riversofthought.net, there's a journal post called the COVID-19 Journal Challenge. And would love for you to join in. And you don't have to share any of it. I'm not asking you to share your thoughts with me or anybody. But I think it's an interesting exercise. And, and this was kind of born out of some work I was doing for a different project. And I discovered a couple dozen journals from the Spanish flu epidemic back in 1918, 1919. And it's a different view sometimes than the history books give. It's a more personal view. It's a more raw view of what was going on. And you get the thoughts and feelings of the people. Going back to Lewis and Clark, I think that's what really attracted me to that, is you got firsthand account of their thoughts and feelings as they were on this journey. And I think they bring forth important lessons from the past. And so the idea in this journal challenge is hey, 100 years from now, who's going to be reading your journal? And what are the thoughts and feelings? What do you want them to know about what you were thinking about, what you were struggling with? What observations did you have? I think that collective is going to be incredibly valuable to future generations.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. And so I will put a link out in the episode notes to your blog so that people can find that easily. But I think I want to also challenge people who are listening to understand the importance of their thoughts and perspectives. I think a lot of folks probably, you know, sometimes feel like, why would I do this? Who would be interested in my thoughts? But at the end of the day, I believe every perspective and every voice is important for us to consider as we think about what are we learning from this moment or in the future when we look back for us to understand better about, like you mentioned, what people are feeling, what their experience was like. Because the more voices and perspectives we have, the richer our understanding of this point in time.
1: Well, I think that's an excellent point about journaling is no one may ever read it again, but you. One of the things that I encourage anybody to do that journals is to go back and read them. Don't just write them and leave them on a shelf. Go back and read what you wrote last month, last year and reflect on how do you think about it now has your view changed i for one i'll put it out here i was a skeptic it's like oh this is never going to happen you know it's alarmist there's no way we're going to have all this stuff that people are starting to talk about and here we are right? I was wrong. I could go back and read those thoughts and understand that. And I think that's important, whether we're talking about a global pandemic or whether we're talking about business life or our personal life or our life going forward, to be able to go back and look, to remember what happened because our brains have this amazing ability to rewrite history sometimes. And in our minds, we think that happened this way. And when we go back and read, we say, oh, no, that's not really what happened. That's just the story my brain made up. And again, looking at it to say, what have I learned? How does my view change from when I wrote that a month ago, a year ago? I think that's a great point. The reflection is an important process.
0: Absolutely. So let's think
1: forward into the future.
0: What are the things you're optimistic for in the future?
1: Oh, man. It's an amazing time, especially for someone involved in technology like myself. But you look across what's going to be happening in the next five years, the next 10 years. It's exciting. You know, I talk a lot about technology just because that's my background. But think about artificial intelligence and robotics and the automation of Lots of things in our lives. And imagine a cornfield. We're here in Indiana. We're all about corn. Yes. Uh, Imagine a cornfield, but a drone flying over that cornfield and monitoring the plant height at different points during the growing season. Combining that with IoT, uh, Internet of Things, sensors that are in the soil, measuring the temperature, the moisture in the soil, combining that with climate data and weather data and enabling the farmer to put the right amount of fertilizer, the right amount of chemicals, the right amount of water per square foot, almost at the plant level on the farm field. Think of the yield increase that that's going to have in the production of food and other materials for our planet. Those kinds of things are just amazingly exciting to me. Autonomous vehicles, who would have thought of that? Well, I know people were thinking about that 15, 20 years ago. I certainly wasn't. But think about what that's going to do for our lives and the ability to, today we order an Uber, well, at some point an autonomous vehicle will show up and take us where we need to go. Uh, I think that will happen. So I just think the future is exciting. I think there's a lot for leaders to sink their teeth into, no matter the industry that they're in. I think it's an incredibly exciting time to be involved in technology, probably the most exciting time. Since the birth of technology 50 years ago, we spent so much time on automation and efficiency. And now it's time to turn our attention to our customers and the customer experience and how our products and our services can help people live better lives. I think that's a fantastic future.
0: It's going down the trail of another new frontier of
1: future technology. Yes, yes.
0: So is there anything that concerns you about the future?
1: Oh, wow. Um, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, all that wonderful technology that I just described can be used for nefarious things, right? We all, we all know about computer hacks. We know about those types of things, and people are going to use it for their own gain, not for the gain of humanity. And that is concerning. We see it all the time. I think that's probably what concerns me most is that we're not going to learn the current lessons and we're going to be faced with increasing challenges in the future as well.
0: Right. And it's an important aspect when we think about our strategies moving forward out of this as well. Yeah. Is how do you prepare yourself for those types of circumstances that are less positive? Absolutely. But you're right. Technology has a lot of opportunities to make the world better and I think it's a great time for us to think about how technology is important to our current circumstance and keeping us connected. Yes. Allowing us to continue business, allowing us to continue to educate our children, allowing us to stay connected to one another through difficult times.
1: And ironically, helping us to connect at a human level virtually.
0: Yes. The thing I think that we never expected to learn from this experience. Exactly. Well, Jeff Ton, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh, I've had fun, Becky. I always enjoy sitting down and chatting with you and love how our conversations just follow threads. So thank you very much for having me on your program. You're very welcome.
0: As an IT leader and in life, Jeff reflects deeply on the past, as well as the current, to strategically apply important lessons when shaping the future. He also realizes the importance of looking beyond technology and squarely on what's important, people. Whether it be the people he leads or the people his organization serves, Jeff understands the importance of recognizing people for who they are while empathizing enough to understand their challenges in a way that leads to meaningful solutions. Jeff also highlights the importance of capturing your experience through journaling. The value of doing so is clear. The stories of the past influence the solutions of the future. Whether it be the adventures of Lewis and Clark, unexpected system outages, or a global pandemic, we all have the ability to look a bit deeper, find meaningful lessons, and use those lessons to help shape a better future. So, consider your experiences, now and in the past. Then, learn from those experiences, for now and in the future. Until then, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Jeff Tun and his amazing work, check out his website at jeffreystun.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S-T-O-N dot com. You can also find them on LinkedIn and on Twitter and Facebook @jtonindy, that's at That's J-T-O-N-I-N-D-Y. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.